It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Phil Bliss, a business visionary, and welcome to Toronto's Podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source of the great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. We're going to be talking to uh, Saif Ajami, who is the founder and CEO of Keyhole. Keyhole's been around for 11 years and they're in the, the social digital uh, business, uh, the number one company worldwide for hashtag analytics. And I think it's going to be very interesting. So, Safe, welcome to Canada's podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. Excited yeah, to so, be here. So, before we go much further, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what you do, how you, you know, how you got here, kind of thing. Yeah. Happy to. I run a company called uh, Keyhole. We help marketers measure the impact of social media campaigns. Um, we're really one of the um, uh, pioneers in the area of hashtag analytics. Uh, we've been around uh, as Keyhole for seven years and as the parent company for about 10 or 11. And it really was when the infancy of social media happened. We knew that people were spending a lot of time and effort on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for that, they'd, be, they'd want to, you know, one, either monetize their efforts or two, measure the impact that they're having. Mm-hmm. And so we built uh, Keyhole and evolved Keyhole through a number of pivots, which are super interesting stories on how we actually ended up Keyhole mm-hmm. uh, and, and the product that we did. Um, but yeah, through a number of uh, iterations, ended up with a product that got traction and have been growing since then. Um, today, we're about uh, 15 people based out of Toronto, Canada. Okay. So, you know, in, in chatting earlier, you know, you, you said, I mean, we were talking about entrepreneurship and, and, and people making it on their own versus this and that, the next thing. And, and you, you've probably listened to some, I sort of ask the question, are entrepreneurs wired differently? I, I mean, I always like kind of on the journey, think about how you got yourself set up. You know, did you, you know, some people come from entrepreneurial families, so it's a, it's natural. Some people do the classic kind of, you know, angel investor VC startup, you know, how, how, how did you arrive Is safe wire differently? You know, what, what's your, what's your little story on, on the evolution of, of diving into your own company? Yeah, look, I, th- I think, um, you know, I believe uh, w- the way it kind of comes to fruition a lot of times is taking that first step and letting momentum take you forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what, you know, if you were to ask me what's different about entrepreneurs generally, it's this ability to take initiative, whether they are w- within an organization or outside, when they see something that is interesting or worth exploring further, taking that initiative to, um, to start or try something. And so my evolution really came from this idea that I, I liked uh, and wanted to be an entrepreneur. And um, even while working uh, or in school, often dabbled in side projects with, uh, you know, with a number of different, different friends and sometimes alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and what was appealing about entrepreneurship was the flexibility and kind of ownership that came from it, uh, being a principal, not an agent for a certain uh, mm-hmm. function, right. Or for a certain purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I was away in business school, uh, social media was uh, blowing up. And we saw this opportunity that drew parallels to what other people were doing around domain names at the time. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so we started a project that, uh, when we launched it, we ended up getting some press around it. And, you know, from there it momentum carried us. So from there we got lucky and met a couple of people who were quite supportive of us. Um, so, uh, a couple of early investors uh, who were based out of Toronto. Um, they brought us into a Toronto-based program that was uh, not, un- not very similar to the Y Combinators uh, back yeah, in the day, you. where it was a very small program at the time um, with small funds, but it was really about the support uh, uh, and, and not necessarily just financial support. And so they brought us into the program. That carried us forward, and that helped us evolve. And so it really was... Um, uh, part luck, part momentum, but just starting with something and, and taking it from there. So you kind of so started to go into it, you know, th- this is Toronto's podcast, you know, so yeah. why Toronto? You went to school in Waterloo, and so may- maybe that you grew up in, 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 in the triangle, so to speak. Yeah. But, you know, what are the benefits of doing business in Toronto? Uh, I mean, uh, or could you be anywhere? You know. Uh, technically, you know, for, for business, you could be almost anywhere. Um, yeah. But I think the the uh, evaluation that everyone has to make for themselves is what do they value as a person, mm-hmm. other than just business. And so, mm-hmm. if quality of life is important, um, there are very few places that are better than Toronto or Canada in general, right? And mm-hmm. so. If you want quality, the benefit of a place like Toronto or Canada is that you can have amazing quality of life, amazing place to raise your family, amazing time to spend time with friends, um, but at the same time, not sacrifice any of the things that are important in business. Mm -hmm. So those resources could be financial. Those resources could be human. I mean, the talent that Toronto has is, uh, and and you see this a lot more with uh, data science and AI now, the talent that Toronto and Canada have is really unmatched around the world. Um, so I much think so that, now, yeah, it certainly that in the last six years, it's just become amazing. You know? and, and, and so if you care about quality of life, um, which is important to me, um, if you care about family's quality of life, which is important to me, mm-hmm. then there are very few places you can be where you can have that while still not sacrificing what you need as resources to build a business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So think, thinking about the, the, the local aspect of it, you know, where do you go to get your best ideas, you know, in the city? You know, where, do you, uh, where, 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 where did you get inspired in the city? You know, we sometimes need to leave the office and, you know, think. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so Toronto's lucky to have a lot of uh, startup communities and startup hubs. Yeah. Uh, so, so Within, within the area of entrepreneurship and startups, um, you know, I'm part of a, a uh, scale-up hub called 111, which mm-hmm. is surrounded by uh, businesses that are similar size and growth, uh, growth rate to ours, right? And so mm-hmm. um, uh, serendipitous interactions with other founders is certainly quite valuable. Mm-hmm. There are a number of meetups that uh, we can attend. But, but, um, but beyond that, I think what's interesting where what really kind of uh, makes, makes us think differently uh, is because Toronto has such a diverse um, entrepreneurship and business aspect to it, it's not just a tech startup hub. It's not just a financial hub. It's not just a healthcare and health tech hub. 
it's not just a fintech hub. I think the idea that there are so many different types of people and businesses here mm-hmm. allows us to interact and have, you know, whether it's meeting somebody for lunch who is from a completely different sector or just happens to be a friend, but happens to be um, uh, thinking about a problem in their sector in a different way. Right. And that's where you get a lot of uh, a lot of inspiration that is not uh, where you're looking at it not with blinders on in your own tech space. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's where that's one of the benefits of Toronto that I would suggest maybe maybe other people places don't have. Mm-hmm. So, what's the best thing about being an entrepreneur? Is it the wealth? Is it? The, I mean, I mean, uh, genuinely, what what is it? I think uh, I think there's two things that really. Um, uh, I've found over over time to be the benefits. Mm-hmm. One is this difference of being a principal versus an agent, right? And and when when you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a consultant, um, a a sole proprietor or a consultant, or whether you're running a larger organization, the fact that you um, have uh, you're the you're the the principal where all problems are yours, but all kind of value that you create, you can feel some ownership for, uh, some ownership towards. I think that is quite an emotional benefit that I think it's tough to quantify in many cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the difference between like being a kind of uh, consultant versus working uh, in in your in a uh, product or services company, for example, right? Or product company. I think the the uh, second benefit that I've found is, to be honest, is the flexibility. I think it's. Uh, it's a, a fun phrase that a lot of people say you're still working, you know, whether it's 60 hours or 40 hours or whatever it is, you're just deciding which 40 or 60 or 80 hours you're working. Right. And I think that flexibility allows you to take on other things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And those other things could be family uh, time. The other things could be volunteering, uh, right. which, uh, which are quite, you know, uh, I'm quite passionate about others are quite passionate about. And so it really comes down to having the flexibility to say, how, how do you juggle a lot of these things that are important to you in life um, uh, uh, rather than uh, being, being uh, limited to a certain time span, right? Or time scope. So in, the, in, the, in this rather strange economic time, you know, what are you most excited about in your business at the moment? To me, um, one is that things are constantly changing. Right. I mean, in the 11 years or 10, 11 years that I've been in the social media space, mm-hmm. um, Instagram didn't exist. So Instagram was launched after that. Snapchat came. Uh, TikTok's here. I mean, it is constantly changing. Um, WhatsApp didn't exist. Right. And so mm-hmm. one is that it is constantly changing. There's always something new that you're learning or trying to help other organizations uh, use, leverage and grow with. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of it, and, and really, which is the intersection of Keyhole, is one is the social media aspect and the other is the data aspect, uh, being a data analytics company. And the data, the abilities of what you can do with data and the availability of data has just um, uh, made a step change over that time. Mm-hmm. And so what really excites me is that we're really in the, you know, uh, the cycles of social media come and go, right, depending on different networks. And yeah. another one will come around soon, mm-hmm. but the um, but we're really in the early in- innings of the data that's available and how to leverage data to the benefit of all types of organizations that don't that don't use it today. 
right? And so whether it's in social media or elsewhere, I think the data is just, is just so interesting and the digitization of data, of, of information is yeah. so interesting. I totally agree with you. We're right there as well. So yeah. <laughs> being in a similar, similar side of things. It's, uh, I mean, there, there are things yeah. that we do as humans day to day that you don't think of as uh, data inputs and data outputs, right? Or you don't think of as technology inputs and outputs. Stopping at a red light, right? Yeah. Um, crossing the street, uh, listening to music. I mean, all of these things, you know, going to the hospital, all of these things we do day to day that today is very much driven by human intuition and past technologies, past data. But uh, it is so exciting to think about what the next 10 years are going to be when data is a primary driver, information, information is a primary driver of how decision is made. Well, without giving away too many secrets, uh, you know, can you give us a bit of a vision of, of, the, of the future of, of uh, not just not your business necessarily, but the, the segment of the, the, that you're in, which is really, you know, the, the, the digital uh, kind of marketing slash behavior business. Yeah, I think, I think two things are going to happen that are going to be pretty significant, right? Um, one will add a lot of data and the other will um, give you more control over data, which in many ways will uh, restrict the data, right? And it's going to be the marriage of these two that the, that the future is going to look like. Mm -hmm. When I talk about adding, when there's going to be a lot more data availability out there, mm -hmm. I mean, today, a lot of information is, um, is proprietary um, with their owners. So an organization like yours or mine has our own internal data. Mm -hmm. um, in social media, as you know, influencer marketing is really blowing up. We work with a ton of influencer agencies who are trying to track campaigns and the impact their influencers are having. And so influencers have their own data about the, about, uh, about, uh, the efforts that they're making. Brands, have, brands and organizations have their own data. And I think what will happen is that it's, you know, what will happen is that that data will start to um, mix with each other. And so it won't be a lot of proprietary data in that aspect because sharing is beneficial in that case. A lot of data will not remain proprietary. And so whether it's through blockchains, tokenization, um, a lot of this information uh, or, integrate, or, or integration platforms mm -hmm. uh, that act as intermediaries, that data will become a lot more shared, benefiting everybody in that, in that group to make good decisions, right? So I think that that will happen. Um, and I think we'll see new players come in that uh, enable that. Um, on the flip side, we know privacy is a big concern today and it's going right. to become a bigger concern, right? Yeah. Um, uh, in, in Canada, we have our policies. In Europe, there's GDPR. And, and so um, more information will become uh, locked down and very personal. And so what will happen is that it's beneficial to the consumer. So let's say I am a shopper on Amazon. The next time I go to Google, I don't want an ad, you know, I might not want an ad for that Amazon product to, sh to follow me around through retargeting on Google on other websites. And so I might say, well, I want to lock down and make my information private. So because everybody is going to try and make their information more private because of the benefits that come from it, organizations, um, brands, particularly 
we'll start building more uh, uh, ways to collect first party data. So where previously you could drop cookies and, and follow a person around to try and increase sales and such, I think brands will start building first party networks. And what that means is that everybody might create their own social network, whether it looks like a Facebook or not is a question, right? But it's not uh, unfathomable that Nike comes along and creates their own social network and Adidas does the same thing because once you have your own social network, you've got first party, you know, you've got a direct relationship. First party data is just a better way to say you've got a yeah. direct relationship with somebody. And if you have, and, and organizations will try to have better one-on-one -on -one direct relationships with, with um, their consumers, right? So, so I see that happening a lot with, uh, with the data. That's very interesting. So let's, let's, let, let's lighten up a bit, but that's, that was, right. that was great input having said that. So, so what, what are the top three things on, you know, on your bucket list, you know, vision board, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, top, top of my bucket list. Uh, well, uh, I think the first thing that's around the corner, I don't know if it's on my, uh, if it's a, a bucket list item, but certainly that's going to be top of mind is, is, uh, you know, my family and the expansion of it. Um, we've got, you know, we've got a, a beautiful young daughter and we're expecting a second child in the next month or so. And so life is going to be quite, quite different <laughs> in, in months than it is today. Um, and so, uh, and so the bucket list item is start, trying to get through the first, uh, first year with that. And then start that's, enough, well, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so I, I want to move on to challenges because sometimes we learn the most from our challenges, you know, uh, what's been the greatest challenge you've faced as you've been growing the business? I think one of the bigger challenges has been to try and find uh, the right business model um, for this type of organizations. I think people, people, people thought, think about what makes a good business model, a good strategy. And so for us, we, we are, you know, there, there are two aspects that come to mind. One is, um, the nature of our business is such that we help a lot of people measure campaigns on social media. And as you know, campaigns come and go, projects come and go. I think agencies live that life daily, right? And so how do we help organizations on an ongoing basis rather than in a time box basis? I think that's been a challenge of ours uh, that we're working towards and I think we're getting better at. Um, the second challenge has been uh, a challenge that's probably true for most uh, companies in our in the social media space, which is that you're quite reliant on decisions made outside your walls, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, the supplier risk in this case is quite high. And so how do you work with um, in the social network, social media space um, uh, with the rules that are implemented outside your walls or with the data that's available from outside your walls, but still be able to add value to organizations you're serving? And so uh, within the organization, I would say that's, um, those are probably one of the biggest, some of the biggest challenges that, that we faced. Um, but but, uh, but uh, as with many things, whether it's finding a way, you know, finding a business to launch, growing a business to the next uh, milestone, there are playbooks and workbooks you work towards. And so for, for us, it's really about finding uh, the next kind of growth curve that comes from there. So when things aren't going, as you expected, how do you deal with it? How do you recommend people handle that kind of situation? 
Do they throw things at the wall? Do they, what do they do? You know? uh, so, so three things keep me sane. Right. One, one is I've got a fantastic co-founder that is the perfect yin-yang combination. That's, that's and great. Yeah. And that's not just in terms of skill set, which a lot of people talk about, but mm-hmm. also in terms of um, emotional uh, mindset. And so when I'm flying off the walls, he'll be extremely calm and, and that kind of calms me down. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's, a, that's an amazing um, a partnership that, that we've, uh, we've kind of grown into. Uh, and in many ways lucked into, right? Um, the second, I think, is is having an amazing uh, team. And again, it's not just about skill set, but it's about personalities. I think we've got a team that like thoroughly, thoroughly enjoys each other's company, right? It's so much so that they'll hang out with, with each other. Well, you know, we'll hang out with each other outside work, go to each other's parties, hang out on weekends. And it's really tough to have that personality, that type of team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest things that I'd say my co-founder and I, Minaz, are proud of is that we built a team that, it, that has this personality, these characteristics, that, true, that we truly enjoy being around all the time. And so in the worst of days, which we've gone through, mm-hmm. um, the idea that everybody huddles together and has fun huddling together to try and work through a crisis is actually makes it so much easier because mm-hmm. we're not trying to solve it ourselves. It's, it's, it's this ability to do that. And then the third is um, knowing through experience that as bad as we think things are, it's probably not that bad. You know, we've gone through crises and come out fine on the other side. It just mm-hmm. looked like the end of the world or felt like the end of the world at the time. <laughs> And, and so just, just the fact that we've gone through these a few times um, is starting to help us when things are not going our way yeah. um, and, and knowing that a week or two or a month from now, uh, things will be better. So, that, so, so thinking in mind, a little bit on the lesson side, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self or your 22-year-old self probably when you just, you know, graduated thinking about, you know, moving into entrepreneurship and stuff like that. I would tell, I would, you know, uh, what I would say to myself uh, as a 20 year old Mm -hmm. is, is, and probably one of the better advices that I got is just start. I think a lot of uh, people, myself included, Mm-hmm. Uh, before they become, before they take the leap into entrepreneurship, worry a lot about whether their idea is the right one. Okay. Right. Um, I think they worry a lot about, um, is this product going to be a big product? Is it, am I going to be able to sell it? Do I, did I get this pixel right? Is this button the right color? What's the name I should give it? Right. Uh, what's the name I should give the product or the domain and all this stuff. And, and, and the reality is that, you know, there's a 90 plus percent chance that regardless of what you start with, that's not where you're going to end up anyway. But what's important is that we start, uh, is that you start and then refine it along the way. Um, I think that's going to be the path to success. So, so I would say to my 20, 22 year old self, stop thinking so much about um, whether an idea is the right one, you start and evolve. And the second I would say, second thing I would say is that um, you're probably overestimating the risk involved with the startup. 
Okay. I think people overestimate the risk and underestimate the ceiling. Or, uh, and so uh, just understanding that the worst case scenario is you're going to be same place where you start where you are today, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a few kind of uh, wounds to celebrate, mm-hmm. even if things don't work out. Um, I, think, I think you should not overestimate the risk and just take a leap. So we're moving to the final section, the rapid fire section. So right. go at it, you know, and don't think too much. You know, okay. You know, you've probably listened to them, so you've done some thinking. But if you weren't doing what you were doing now, uh, what would you be doing instead? I would probably be trying to start another startup or trying to build a startup. Um, uh, it it may be in a different sector. But I would say, I'd say my expertise and where I, I've, I've uh, uh, built a playbook mm-hmm. is uh, B2B internet software that's subscription-based. And so I'd probably be starting another software company that is serving other businesses. Okay. A very popular question, of, uh, in terms of listeners, you know, uh, what book are you currently reading, listening to, whatever? Uh, and what books would you recommend to our, to our listeners? I'm listening to never. I'm I'm reading Never Split the Difference, which is really about negotiations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the book I recommend consistently is called Playing to Win. I read it once or twice a year. It's mm-hmm. not a very popular book, but I found it extremely uh, tactical on how businesses go about developing strategy. I think strategy a lot of people struggle with because it's a very vague thing. What What does it mean to be blue ocean or red ocean or this or that? Right. But I think Playing to Win, which is by the old dean of the University of Toronto Business School, uh, who also was a consultant, as well as the old, uh, I think, Procter & Gamble CEO, mm-hmm. they really go about tangible examples of how to build, um, uh, build business strategy and how to execute against it. Morning or night person? Uh, yeah, I, was, I, I, I uh, struggle with this question a lot. Uh, you know, I... I I, I'm a night person, but I'm working hard to become a morning person uh, because what I found is that it's easier for me to stay up than wake up, but I know that my productivity is a lot better in the morning. So I'm starting to become a morning person uh, more might, than I used to. It might become easier with two young kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I won't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be? It and would why? be, and why? Yeah, no. it would be conscientious. I think, um, for better or for worse. Uh, for me, it's quite important uh, to think about the impact we're having on others. And so whether it's the decisions I'm making within the organization and trying to think about how it might impact others in the company, uh, employees and partners, um, or whether it's the time spent volunteering and working with uh, community organizations, and having empathy or trying to have empathy for uh, those less fortunate, it's really, I, I would say that's the word that, that comes to mind if I had to pick one. Okay, that's good. What's keeping you up at night? Anything or nothing? Um, what's keeping me up at night is, is, is uh, thoughts around the company mm-hmm. and how to find the next, uh, growth curve or the next kind of um, product to build. Uh, I think, I think a lot about it. Um, we're at, we're lucky to be in a place now where we've built a company that is profitable, sustainable, 
uh, well run with the team that we have. Mm -hmm. And so in my position, uh, what I'm trying to do is spend less time in and more time on the company and try to figure out where do we go next? And, and, and with all the thinking at night, it probably keeps me up at night longer than it should. What's your favorite place in the world? Um, probably sitting by or, or on the water. It's not a specific body necessarily, but, but um, I'm, I'm quite um, attracted to watching water and being around, around the water. And, and it's the peace that comes from it. Um, whether it's peace to just unwind or peace of mind to think, but it's quite appealing. So we're coming to the end here. So I'm just going to sort of say, you know, that's the tropical islands question. Yeah. So we drop you off. Okay. There's only one phone booth. Remember what that was and no, no internet, no, 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 no connectivity apart from that. Um, and you have no technology, so so you're you know no phone, nothing like that. Uh, you can call, and I mean come and get you. Uh, how long do you last? And what uh, do you do? Probably six hours. <laughs> enough enough so that I um, find peace of mind and quiet, which is so tough to find in the world these days. Yeah. Um, but I would probably go stir crazy a little bit, anything longer than that. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, you know, thanks say for, for coming on. That's, that's really good. Uh, I always like at this point, how can people get a hold of you? I mean, you've thrown some interesting things there and it sparks questions, you, you know, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. So my Twitter handle is safe underscore Ajani um, or email me. I'd love to hear from you safe at keyhole.co. That's my work email address. Okay. All right. Thanks for coming on Canvas podcast. Um, you know, hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having me, Phil. This is amazing. Thank you. Thanks everyone for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canvas podcast network. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canvaspodcast.com, where you can listen, discover, and engage. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'll see you next time.